I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Chips, the soccer podcast from Vice Sports. My name is Aaron Gordon. As always, I am here reliably bringing you the biggest soccer... No, I don't bring you the biggest soccer stories of the week. I'm just lying. Uh, <laughs> joining me this week is not Will McGee. I cannot stress this enough. Will McGee is not joining me this week again. He didn't go to Portugal on vacation without telling me this time. But I instead wanted to talk to someone else about something that's going on here in the U.S. or... I don't want to say going on, it's just kind of a, a constant thing here in the U.S. soccer landscape about who U.S. soccer fans are and talking about MLS's marketing efforts, especially with a Latino focus. So joining me to talk about this is Luis Miguel Echare. I screwed that up so badly you, after you know I did. What? It was, I knew you were going to mess it up, yeah. and I was rooting for you. I was going for you. <laughs> Luis Miguel it's Shagarai. Yes! There we go. Nice. I just cut out a syllable, <laughs> syllable in the uh, in the moment the pressure got to me. Trust me, I've been called way worse. All right. Luis, tell the people who you are and what you do. I'm an engagement editor for a startup. I am also a sports contributor for The Guardian, and I have worked and written for many publications, including Univision and Newsweek and Remescla, which is a Latino U.S. publishing uh, organization here in, in New York. Cool. So the way this whole conversation got started was because I did a tweet storm. And normally tweet storms are, are highly unadvisable, even though I do them way too often. But this one actually connected me and Luis to talk about this, so I'm going to chalk it up in the victory of the tweet storm world. Essentially, I saw an article by Richard Deitch of Sports Illustrated, who kind of reports on sports media stuff. And he did an article on how ESPN and Fox Sports are collaborating on their MLS coverage. And it was a good article. There was one quote that kind of stuck out to me, which I was frankly pretty puzzled by. It was by Amy Rosenfeld, the ESPN senior coordinating producer in charge of ESPN soccer coverage. And she basically said that the goal of the coverage is to highlight MLS games as events, as like big sporting events, which Okay, fine, that sounds good. And she said, quote, that will not always occur, but now more than 10 years ago, there are a lot more venues in MLS that convey a big event, which I think is correct. And then she went on to say, we will also personalize the players we cover, especially players who will be part of the U.S. pool for the World Cup qualifying and ultimately the World Cup. I think that is an area that we can latch onto with some fervor. That's the part of the quote, the part about personalizing players, particularly ones in the U.S. player pool, that kind of caught me a little bit puzzled because the U.S. is a very uh, diverse place, obviously, with lots of people from many different countries. And it struck me that a lot of soccer fans in this country, you could even say most soccer fans in this country, probably don't root for the U.S. soccer team or at least have loyalties elsewhere in addition to having some interest in the U.S. soccer team. So I began to wonder, is this really the best strategy for growing MLS's TV audience and fan interest in 2017 especially. So, Luis, what did you think of those thoughts, and uh, what are your thoughts on kind of this strategy in general? Well, the first thing that I think when it comes to try to appeal to the 
soccer fan here in the U.S. from an MLS perspective is that, I mean, I think you're 100% correct. I think that one of the biggest issues is that we think that U.S. soccer is ultimately directly connected to the U.S. national team. And I think this is a mistake. Major League Soccer is the most diverse league in North America. Last season, you know, up to last season, there were players from 59 countries around the world. That's huge. And I think, obviously, due to the expansion teams, Atlanta, Minnesota, and also, you know, recent transfers before the season began, that number has definitely grown. So there is this ideology about soccer in this country that you think, oh, we have to connect everything to your Tim Howards, to your Michael Bradleys, even to your Pulisics, which is fair enough. But to me, I think... If you want to expand the name and the brand of this league, which I think so highly of, you need to focus on the diversity of, one, the players, and two, the community in large that supports these players in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. And there are kind of like a a couple of things in there that I wanted to point out. One is that I feel like it's fairly uncontroversial to say that the most popular league in the United States is Liga MX. And that the most popular national team in the United States is the Mexican national team. I don't really see any evidence that could possibly contradict those positions. So if that's the case, if that's kind of our starting point, I don't understand why then the domestic league here wants to focus on only fans of the U.S. men's national team as its kind of main marketing push. That just doesn't make a lot of sense to me if you're trying to grow the fan base. Yeah, I mean, you know... When you think about the marketing brand of MLS, there are actually two angles. I actually wrote a piece for The Guardian last year about how MLS does a lot, a lot. I mean, just speaking from my own community, a lot to enhance the importance and value of Hispanic and Latino players and fans. They do a lot of outreach programs with different clubs within their communities. They don't just focus necessarily on language, which there's football MLS, but there's also like, you know, the way that they project their players from a Latino perspective. They understand that Latinos in this country, U.S. born Latinos, 60 percent, which is around 32 million, are millennial or younger. Almost half are 18 or younger. So they know that. They know that the future is there. I do agree, though, that there is this other angle, which is trying to reach out to the new fan. I think that's the reach. Where, like, as somebody that doesn't really know soccer that much, is kind of interested in it, they're paying attention to their friends and, and that they like it and everything like that. So they try and reach out, exactly like you said, by trying to connect them with the stars and stripes and your Altidores and your Michael Bradleys, like you said. I, I think I, I think you're correct. I think there's a mistake there. While the league has brought in a lot of exciting young talent that isn't American, I think this year the big name for me would be Miguel Amiron, who's, I mean, he's one of the favorite, my favorite players to watch so far this season. But aside from him and maybe a few others, it seems like the majority of the big name signings have been bringing Americans from abroad back to the U.S. I mean, it's what, seven or eight names? I mean, I could raffle them off, but you I mean, Jermaine know. Jones gets talked about every single week, yeah, you know, people j- like that. And would, you know, would Alejandro Bedoya be a $6 million a year player if he wasn't on the U.S. national team? I, I'm i an Alejandro Bedoya, like, I stands for that guy, like, probably nobody else. I think he's a fantastic addition to the national team, but from a club's perspective... He better not like, take penalties anymore. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> but, like, I mean, from a club team perspective, if you're trying to make a big signing, his name probably wouldn't come up if he wasn't American or played for the U.S. national team, let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that there's a big picture issue 
I think they're trying to basically solve an issue like, you know, they're trying to put a bandaid on a gunshot wound. They think that if we just focus on the big names that are happening right now, if we keep talking about your Tim Howards, your Bedoyas, then what happens is we're going to be able to create some kind of like publicity and try and enhance the credibility of the league. But I think that you kind of have to look at the way that, and I know that it's early, but teams like Atlanta United, right, who are focusing primarily on two things. One is to bring relevance from their coaching perspective. Absolutely, yeah. And two, from their youth academy perspective. They want to really develop the value of their team through their youth. And they're not the only ones. But this is a key thing. Because if you do that, then you're planting the seeds for the future. So 15 years from now, you could have a Salvadoran American kid from Michigan that could be the face of the United States. Right. And that, to me, is way more important than trying to cling on to these stars that we were talking about. Yeah, so it's kind of like a short-term and long-term strategy. Exactly. And the interesting thing to me about the short-term strategy is whether I think there are even any gains left to be had from there. Let's say you're a fan of the U.S. men's national team, but you're not really tied to any club team or, or league or something like that, which I'm, I'm hypothesizing think, that there's someone like this out there, somewhere. but it's kind of, I, I, I don't really know how by now someone wouldn't yeah. have already found a team to kind of latch out. Anyways, let's say that person exists, because okay. that's basically the premise for this marketing strategy. I have right? imagined this person in my head. Yeah, they, 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 are, they have material for I mean, if you're trying to market to this person, why would they watch MLS as opposed to, say, the Bundesliga, where America's more promising future talent, I would say, is playing on a regular basis? I mean, it's certainly not hard to watch Christian Pulisic play every week. Every U.S. soccer writer in America tweets furiously whenever he gets in a lineup. So, I mean, if that's the case... I don't see why someone in that situation, you know, if that hypothetical soccer fan chooses MLS versus watching Pulisic or Bobby Wood or even Yedlin in the championship on TV. Like, I don't know, how, how much is there really to be gained from that? That's a really great point. And actually, I would like to add one more thing, which is what I was thinking about just as you were talking. I think that one of the issues, too, is like, obviously, MLS has done a great thing right now, which is they're streaming their games on Facebook, which is for yeah, the younger generation, really cool. yeah. it's a huge thing. I know that ESPN a few years ago did a survey on the most popular sports within this age range, like the generation's years. And MLS wasn't far behind baseball, right? And yeah. it was actually overtaking it. It probably has overtaken it by now. So it's a good thing. But the thing that I wanted to focus on was when you turn on Fox, right, FS1, or when you turn on ESPN, or when you watch ESPN FC, which puts a lot of focus on MLS, right? Mm -hmm. The people who are talking to you are your Alexi Lalises, right? Your Winaldas, right? I mean, yes, they have earned the right to talk and they have earned the right to be pundits. But what if we became a little bit more diverse when it came to pundits? What if we started talking about other people, other players, that can maybe make an influence and talk about the league in a different way, and U.S. soccer in particular, right? I think that if we stick to these players, then we're going to keep having the same kind of rhetoric. I think that maybe we can like spread the level of talent within the television environment. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something that it seemed like Fox was interested in doing for Copa America. They had Hercules Gomez in the studio, who I thought was really good. He is. He's um, great. And I would like to see him doing more consistent. Yeah, he does um, ESPN FC a little bit more. Yeah, I think your point is absolutely right. You know, if you 
you turn on the games and who's commentating, it's usually a guy with an English accent calling the plays, or and then uh, an American giving analysis. Or, and when I say American, I mean white American. Yeah, and again, I think it's a band-aid on a gunshot wound. I think yeah. it's a good idea. I think it's going to attract attention, but if you want to maintain the importance and the longevity of the, of the league, I think you have to think of different ways to, to do that. I want to ask a question that gets at something a little bit more, more delicate that I've definitely experienced. I love delicate. All right. So... When I go to U.S. men's national team games or, you know, go to a bar to watch the games, the fan base is overwhelmingly white, I think it's fair to say. Or at least Latinos are usually underrepresented relative to the demographics. When I go abroad and people are surprised I'm talking about soccer and I know about soccer and I'm interested in soccer because I'm an American – There seems to be this lack of recognition that America is an incredibly diverse place with people from all over the world, and especially with our very large Latino population, that soccer would be popular here. So there are kind of these indicators that the perception of American soccer is that it is mostly yuppie white people getting into the sport. And that is the growth of American soccer, to put in giant air quotes. Because you always hear people saying, like, why is soccer growing in America so much now? You know, what's changed? And I feel like the subtext to that question is always among white people. Because the shorter answer is, I feel like it's grown a lot because the Latino demographic in the U.S. has grown so much. And that's exploded interest in the game amongst lots of people. So I want to get your thoughts on how much you think this marketing strategy, specifically about highlighting U.S. men's national team players, might be reflective of that perception. That is a great question, and it's one that I actually think about almost every day. If we go back to what I said about the complexity of how MLS brands itself, mm-hmm. you have the attempt to attract Hispanic audiences through, you know, their football MLS and like their actual grassroots reaching programs with their clubs. There is a lot of attention to Latino families. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. It's funny when you as soccer brands itself and going back to the article that we started this tweet summer in the first place which mm-hmm. is trying to highlight these past stars or these stars or whatever right. and there is kind of like this cloud of whiteness if, it, yeah. if I'm trying to think of another word but that's just the way that I can think about it well no absolutely because I mean like just a quick aside like that article it's about MLS's coverage right. and their attempt to, to kind of raise the profile and there's no mention of Latino audiences there's no mention of the Unimas or yeah. uh, you know Spanish language broadcast which and, tend and to they get think rankings. and they think and the, and they think that the only way to do this is by doing it in their Spanish section right. which is really wrong because 60% of Latinos in this country that are born here are millennials or younger. Half are 18 or younger. Actually, according to Pew, like, you know, the majority of the time they speak English. So if you want to reach to the Hispanic community, you do it through culture, not language. Okay, this is a, this is a point I want to expand on more because yeah. this is often the refrain I get when I talk about this, which is, oh, there already is Spanish language coverage of That's MLS. That's not, like, you know what? And that is a problem with media organizations not just in soccer or sports. It's a problem everywhere where they think that, I mean, I'm Peruvian, I speak Spanish, but, you know, in this nation, a U.S.-born Latino is a completely different community. There's 13, 14, 15-year-old Latinos who are second generation, first generation, who are completely American. Right. They are American, but they do have a strong connection to their parents or their grandparents. So the way to do it is not through just language. Yes, it's important to talk in Spanish, but that's not how you connect 
a young Latino soccer fan. You do it through many different ways, which is trying to balance their identity of America and their identity of being Latino. That's the key. And that's why I say things like putting games on Facebook or reaching their interests and right. the way that they think from a social media perspective or anything like that. That's where you're really going to try and get them. And that's the future. I think that's the way to do it. Listen, I used to live in Los Angeles. I used to go to Galaxy Games all the time. There is a huge Latino fan base when you go to Galaxy Games. I've been to many parts of the country where I've seen the diversity in stadiums. I'm a season ticket holder at NYCFC. I see the diversity for sure. But you're right. I don't think when you go online or look at television, you don't necessarily see that a lot. And I think that that can be done in many different ways and not just through speaking Spanish. Another approach to... Uh, I feel like that to get at that angle is to highlight the Latino American players on the U.S. national team. Yes. It feels like Bedoya gets a lot of coverage for that. And I don't mean to say he doesn't deserve it by any stretch of the imagination. It's just another way to get people involved in that. But it does make me wonder. So for like this, this segment of the population that considers themselves American that grew up here, do they also root for another national team or do they consider themselves U.S. men's Yeah, US I mean, ma- many, many have dual loyalty. I mean, I myself have it. You right. know, I'm Peruvian. I was born in England, actually. And my wife's American, and I, I, I've lived here now for 15 years. So I have a lot of allegiance to, right. to all of that. And when you're 12, or I mean, you know, I have spoken to many, many, many young Hispanic soccer players, soccer fans in, uh, around the country. And actually, one of my first pieces was about a young Ecuadorian-American family and their son, who was very young at the time. Their parents bought them an Ecuador jersey because Ecuador was playing the U.S., and the son rejected it. He wanted he wanted the U.S. flag, yeah. I mean, the U.S. jersey. It was a nice, fun battle amongst the family, sure. but that's how it affects second and third generation Latinos. It, you, you have this connection to this country because this is all you know, but you also feel a loyalty to the country that brought you here in the first place from your parents and stuff. So there is a dual allegiance to, to both a lot of the time. I mean, yeah. one of my best friends, his parents are from El Salvador, but he was born, raised in America, in Connecticut, and like every time the U.S. plays El Salvador, he goes, it's tough for him, yeah. but he roots for the U.S. for sure. So I guess the question would be, I guess we're kind of coming full circle here, if that prize demographic of the Hispanic American millennial does have loyalty to the U.S. national team, then maybe this isn't such a bad marketing strategy. It's kind of like when, listen, one of the things that I do as well is I talk to a lot of news organizations, Vice included. There's no one that's doing it amazingly, and there's nobody that's zero thinking about it, but somewhere in between. And what I say is not only is it good to highlight the value of U.S. Latinos and U.S. Hispanics, because it's the right thing to do, because it's, you know, we are the youngest and the biggest ethnic minority in this country, right? But it's also, like, it's good for business. No other minority watches video online than Latinos. Like, that's a fact, right? They're more active than anybody else, right? So if you think about it, like, from a business perspective, if you're thinking that most young people are watching games online and on mobile, like, you know that the majority of them are going to be Hispanic when it comes to the minority in this country. So it's good for business, and it's good ethically. Like, it's, it's a given. Like, yeah. go for it. This kind of brings me to another question, which is related, and it has to do with what some U.S. national team players have been talking about recently about, for lack of a better term, like, the Americanness of anyone right. on, a, on a team. 
and this applies as much to like German Americans holding dual citizenship as much as Hispanic Americans. Yeah. But if your goal is to expand the fan base of American soccer writ large to include as large of an umbrella as possible, this seems like a really bad way to do it. And obviously the players aren't concerned about that. The players are concerned about their own beliefs mixed with results on the field. But I would think that would turn a lot of people off to the national team if they're basically being told by the players, like, no, we don't want people like you on it. I mean, look at the roster right now, right? You have Nick Rimando, right? Tim Howard, David Bingham, right? You have Darlington Nagby, Pulisic. You have Alejandro Bedoya, Villafaña, right? This is a diverse squad. Extremely, yeah. Which, to me, represents the beauty of the United States. Like, that's America, where you are the son or the daughter of an immigrant, and you are representing a nation that welcomes all. And that to me, like that 22 to me is like, that's the beauty of it. And why wouldn't you focus on that instead of let's do like 20 second clips of Tim Howard every five seconds? I'm nothing against Tim Howard. Right. It's, it's, it's more to do with like, how can you attain younger soccer fans by highlighting the beauty of the diversity of this? Like that to me is key. That's where you can get it. And I'm not, and this is not just about Latinos. This is about every kind of ethnicity and every kind of shade and you know sure. that that to me is the strength it's always struck me as very odd that you know they would like single out german you know like oh they barely even hold a passport or whatever when it's like the whole reason they're american is because one of their parents was an armed service member stationed in germany I mean, how like, american yeah. can you get right <laughs> exactly if you're trying to reach out to the conservative side of it it's like their, their father or mother represented the army exactly like, come on <laughs> and it's it's i feel like it's spiritually related to the idea of highlighting u.s national team players to market the league because it kind of all circles back to this idea of what certain people envision America's kind of supposed to look like or represent. And the idea that they would mostly highlight guys like Michael Bradley and Tim Howard and even like Jermaine Jones, you know, yeah. there's, and obviously Bedoya's in the mix too. MLS did a lot to, to put him out there this preseason, which was great. Yeah. But it just seems like there's this tension between always wanting the U.S. national team to be front and center versus, I mean, going back to MLS for a second, wanting the U.S. national team players to be front and center and to be the appeal of the league and to have this extremely symbiotic relationship between the two versus promoting guy and then promoting players who aren't a part of the U.S. national team that are big names, but it seems like they don't do as much work to promote them. Yeah, sometimes I worry whether, because I, I really do commend MLS for doing a lot for diversity. But sometimes I feel that they're pressured to do a certain appeal or brand strategy because of U.S. soccer. And I think that sometimes there's a battle there where, you know, I, I worry how, you know, whenever the U.S. plays in a World Cup qualifier, like how much of a voice MLS can say before or after. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, yeah. So I think it's a struggle because, you know, think about, like, how much does the Premier League talk about England when England are playing an international? Yeah, almost nothing. I can't, yeah. I mean, and it kind of, it's kind of the same way, going the other way, right? England worries about England, the Premier League worries about the Premier League. Right. But I think the U.S. is a completely different animal because... Growing well, the game and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, and also yeah. we're a young league, you know? I guess this is like a bigger conversation that goes far beyond, you know, Latino Americans and all that stuff. Yeah. But it's time for MLS to grow up, essentially, is like my argument. That, you know, it's time for them to stop worrying so much about 
how do we grow the game? How do we work with U.S. soccer? How do we make sure this enterprise lasts? Like, we're, we're at that point. Yeah, I think they need to have an... Like, they have a huge Hispanic influence inside MLS. Yes. And I've talked to many of them, and they're great. They're fantastic people that really, truly care about the Latino U.S. brand. I think now they need to really... Like, how can we now appeal to this from a U.S. national perspective? Like, that's yeah. the key. You're gonna. It's good for business. It's not just like ethically Absolutely. right. It's like it will get you more fans and it will get you a diverse audience that you really, really need. Yeah, totally. And the other thing is like, okay, so I feel like other than the Latino American audience, mm. which is their biggest potential source of business, I think, yeah. I'm probably the second biggest potential source of business, which is a massive, massive soccer obsessive who lives in the U.S., right? That's pretty much, I mean, like, and obviously that's a larger bucket than the first one, but it's kind of like as you expand. No, you're, you're up there for yeah. sure. MLS doesn't get any of my money from various sources. Like, I just don't really consume their product very much. And right. a big part of it is because they have spent so much energy telling you we have aging stars that you've honestly spent a decade watching on TV and now like a kind of lesser version of them is here to, to play for a few years. Man, and it's like, if they don't get you, that's a sports journalist who's obsessed yeah. and knows about the game, how are they going to do that to a 14-year-old white kid from like the Midwest? Well, and that's and that's kind of what I'm building to, which is like that angle I think doesn't work on a lot of fans. Right. And the aging star. Then the other angle is we brought back all these U.S. national team players. Yeah. I'm like, that's great, I guess, but like, I want to. I don't care about watching U.S. national team players every week. I care about watching U.S. national team players when they play for the U.S. national team. And other than that, I just want to watch good soccer. Right. And so the third angle is, and this is something that they're honestly doing, and they're going in the right direction. They just need to do more of it, make it known that they're doing more of it, which is younger but very talented players who are sought after in other leagues but they choose MLS and making it known like they came here and I think that's kind of like where Atlanta United is very exciting yeah. and I think that's where like Giovinco was obviously the number one example of of doing that well and having it be a big success and it's just like more of that just make me feel like this is a respectable league in my city where I'm going to get to watch talent that chose to play here rather than going abroad. 100%. I mean, if you're going to focus on a start, why don't we focus on Jordan Morris? Yeah, yeah, or Jordan Morris, absolutely. Like, the other thing I think also that it's worth mentioning, and I think we need to re-double-check the statistics, but I'm pretty sure that in 2017, as, as we speak, you know, soccer is, you know, from a participation perspective, the most popular sport in the country. Yeah, it, 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 certainly if it's not number one. It's, it's up there, yeah. right? So... I think another issue is, or another way to go about it, is to try, you know, the way that MLS does Sueño MLS or things like that, why don't you think of different strategies from a grassroots level and think about the youth communities? I mean, kids play soccer everywhere. Yeah. And they don't necessarily watch soccer as much. It's more about playing. So why don't you reach to these communities? And not just from developmental academies, right? But there's a clear alienation of high school teams as well. You know, I think MLS can do a lot when it comes to high school soccer as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's an angle to go at. If you really want to reach out and completely forget about things like we need to focus on the Latino or yeah. whatever. Why don't we think about it from a perspective? You love playing. We love showing you the game. Let's talk about that. I think that's kind of my biggest thing. I'm glad you brought that up because I d would be remiss if I didn't mention it, which is while it is important to recognize like there's this massive demographic out there we're not, you know, reaching or whatever. Like, yeah, that's important to recognize and maybe be cognizant of. But ultimately, it's just 
this is soccer. If you like soccer, you should be into our league, and it doesn't matter who you are. And that's almost what rubs me the wrong way about the U.S. national team-centric marketing. Because whether explicit or – I think it's certainly not explicit, but implicit is the very message that, like, if you aren't a U.S. men's national team fan for whatever reason – then MLS might not be for you because that's who we think are our biggest stars. And I think that's the mistake. You should be saying, yeah, we have U.S. men's national team players, and if you like them, you should watch. But we also have all these other interesting players. And so, like, that's kind of where I think the message gets lost. Absolutely. I actually think about it, like, as as an NBA model. Yeah, totally. Do you 100%. know what I mean? Where yeah. NBA, you know, f- and nobody's perfect, right? But the league, I think, does a fantastic job when it comes to try to celebrate the people that play in it, but from all levels. We're not just talking about your LeBron Jameses, but, you know, we're also talking about the new talent that comes in, you know, your Andrew Wigginsons or whatever. Like, you know, there is a... Who's Canadian, do you know what I mean? Right, but, right. but he represents the beauty of the American League of Basketball in, in this country. I think soccer can do the same thing. Yeah, I agree. I'm glad you came in because I'm, I'm getting sick of doing the manager fight segments with uh, <laughs> with Will. So now we're, we're adding... A new dimension to it here. Uh, so for any new listeners out there, our manager fight segment is where we imagine a completely hypothetical fight between two managers. The scenario is very simple. They're on the touchline. Somebody says the wrong thing and shit goes down. So no weapons, no other elements. It's just a good old fashioned touchline brawl. So, in honor of the kind of nature and tenure of this conversation, we have decided this week's manager fight will be Miguel Herrera against Bruce Arena. I mean, that is... I would pay money for that. So I think this is our first... We were kind of talking about this before the show, but I think this is the first manager fight that we've done that I would actually want to watch. Like, I would pay to watch. There are so many elements to how good this fight could be. I mean, okay. So when Herrera was playing, when he was a player, like, fighting was just as natural as, like, blinking. Like, he, (laughs) he was an aggressive an aggressive man. I mean, he still is, you know. The only thing that worries me about Herrera, one is that, as we were discussing, Aaron, Arena is, what, six foot? Yeah. Uh, Herrera is five, five. So the reach is an issue right there straight away. The other thing is that I think Herrera would probably die out of exhaustion like <laughs> after like 20 seconds. <laughs> There's definitely like kind of a fiery pit bull versus, you know, like more relaxed, bigger dog angle going on here, which is like if Herrera doesn't clinch this thing in the first like 20 to 30 seconds. He's done. He's done. Yeah. yeah. Whereas I will say like Bruce isn't exactly like the most in shape dude anymore either. So I'm not really sure how long he could go. Yeah, that's true. Okay. First of all, Herrera will probably have the strategy where he'll just go straight at him. Oh, yeah. He's like, not, there, there are no feints. There's no, no counter. No. <laughs> there's no beautiful sort of, you know, Floyd Mayweather Jr. Like sort of, you know. He's not tricking done, it. No, no, no. He's, he's going, going straight right at it. And he's probably going to go for his face straight away. Yeah. <laughs> but that might be an issue because, you know, he's not tall will enough. He gets to yeah. the face. Yeah. So I think Arena, you know, if we think about the way he coaches too, you know, he'll probably wait for that first uppercut that Herrera is going for. He'll dodge it, and then he'll give him an elbow in the face. Yeah. I'm going to lean towards Arena right here, just purely because Arena's going to wait and see what he does, as opposed to the other way around. I think that's a sound analysis. My only thing is, Arena is from Long Island. (laughs) 
Where? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Because that's that kind of determines the, a lot. He was born in Brooklyn, but it, I don't think he was. Yeah, but yeah. oh, grew up in a Long Island town of Franklin Square. Okay, I don't know it. It's pretty close to Brooklyn. It's only a little oh, bit okay. up the island. It's like all the way on the western edge of the island, like basically in Brooklyn. So he also played college soccer. Like, I'm, yeah. not, I'm not. I'm not hating on college. I, like, I just think <laughs> when it comes to the, you know, the nitty gritty, who really has gone into like down and dirty? Herrera has definitely have. He probably has more scars. And I was gonna say that my whole thing about Long Island is, oh, I'm gonna get so much hate. Yeah, tweets from Long Island people, but honestly, I'm going. Yeah, they're for not going to give a shit about like what we've been talking about, but just the fact that you've mentioned Long Island, yeah. now, it's over. It just well, it just always strikes me as like Long Island people are, are a lot of bark. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, you know, the, they're all everything's in the mouth. You know, and what comes out, it's not, it, it's never in the action. So I'm I'm a little worried that Bruce is going to give off that vibe that okay. he can that he can right. get down and dirty but like when push comes to shove he starts running yeah i don't know I, I, yeah. I, that's my only concern yeah. and that's supposed to based on gross overgeneralizations and stereotyping so <laughs> hey um, that's why we do this i mean i guess it's lack of health yeah. <laughs> on one side to bravado garra on the other side right so yeah I don't know. I'm still sticking with uh, with Arena just because I think that Herrera. I mean, ten years ago I would have said, "Forget about it." Yeah, Herrera will take you down. But I think he, <laughs> he might die of exhaustion just as he's reaching Arena in the first place. My general rule in these fights is to always go with the crazier one. I have no idea what will go on in that guy's mind <laughs> when he decides yeah, he's, he's going for it. He man, he is just You know when he's like, amazing. You know have you ever watched a fight or like just seen like even if it's just like amongst animals, like not even humans, <laughs> but like have you ever just watched where it's like you see the moment you, that the creature decided yeah. that they were going to fight. Yeah. And and every and just the switch goes and they just become a different thing. And there is no like they don't care about anything but killing that other person. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like Arena like could go down. He that way. gives off that vibe. Yeah, 100%. you're right. Maybe so, maybe fatigue, like it's not even like adrenaline just takes over so much. Get, and also if he if he goes into ultra crazy mode and it's over in seven seconds, yeah. then I don't know. I'm going with Herrera. If you want to stick with Bruce, that's cool. We can No, I like that. The Latino but... goes with the white guy. The white guy goes with the Latino. I love that. It's By the way, afraid, we know... we know that... of the other. <laughs> yeah. By the way, we know that Herrera is not the current Mexican coach, by the way. Like, yes, it's yes, just, yes. We do you know, know It's just Osorio against Arena would have been the most boring thing I've ever seen. I think. Yeah, we would have been here like, well, which of them would actually throw a punch <laughs> yeah. first? Should we play chess or something yeah. at the end of it? I don't know. All right, so are we, are we calling it for Herrera? Yeah. Okay. Herrera wins it. Very good. Oh, we have a correction from last week that I wanted to point out before I forgot. So last week we talked about, or I talked about, I should say, that I thought Claudio Ranieri was a lock to be an MLS manager within like the next year or so, which I still stand by. That's not the correction. The correction is that we were wondering where he could go, and I was wondering which cities have really vibrant little Italys. And I, of course, completely mentally blanked. Listeners, uh, Simon Corbell pointed out that Montreal has a really vibrant little Italy and is also owned by an Italian. Ooh. So Montreal could be a. Oh, I good, would good love Ranieri too. I think. I think the way for the other thing is, I think you know the whole. I, I interviewed Tata Martino like uh, last month, and I, th- I think that that appeal instead of trying to reach the aging star. Why don't you get like those managers to come in and try and cult- cultivate? And I think what uh, Will said last week was was right. As you about Ranieri, he deserves 
all the credit for you know the work you know obviously the team did but for last year's championship and stuff i think i think we shouldn't shade or you know devalue you know what he did for Leicester City i think he's he he did a great thing yeah absolutely and i think i think that's the i mean to go off on a little bit here i think that's kind of the next real uh competitive advantage for an for an MLS club that wants to take the leap is saying we're going to upgrade our we're going to spend on managers. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, think that's, that's not true in a, lo- a lot of leagues. You know, like I think if you're in the EPL for example, at this point it's very difficult to get a competitive advantage on managers there, but for MLS I think the managerial level is still uh, leaves something to be desired. No, I agree. And I think Tata is a really good example of that. Like he's come in and he's schooling this league on no, how to put together a club. he was perfect. I mean, you know, the man when I interviewed him and the way that he talked about his plan, his strategy, and just his vision for Atlanta was just. I haven't heard it in a long time. Yeah. Just his passion for developing talent as well as, you know, what he's going to do. And, you know, because I asked him, are you going to adjust your strategy because it's a new league? And, and he's like, I, I don't think that's what a good manager does. A good manager slowly and subtly introduces his own strategy and, and, and the league pays attention. Right. And I, think that, and I think it's a huge opportunity for any manager, more so than any player. You know, a player comes in and necessarily they have to be a part of something. Whereas a manager can, you can lure a manager by saying, you get to build this. Especially an auteur like him. And yeah, and you yeah. can do it in a setting that isn't as high pressure as a lot of uh, European clubs. I mean, not to say MLS isn't high pressure, of course, but it's different. The press is different. The level of, of ownership oversight is often different. I mean, there's certainly more freedom to... Uh, put in place what you want, you know, salary cap aside. But anyways, that's kind of a... Yeah, I mean, just like he did for San Lorenzo, like it's the same thing that he can do here. Exactly. Do you want to tell the people like, where they can find your work once again and uh, anything you've written recently they should check out? Uh, yeah, sure. So you can tweet me at um, LM Echegaray, which is E C H. E-G-A-R-A-Y. I have to always do it. Uh, but yeah, you can find most of my work there. I'm actually, there's a piece coming out this week, uh, either tomorrow or Thursday. Uh, it's the South American World Cup qualifiers. And I'm talking about Peru's, you know, kind of when it comes to Russia, it's like now or never. And, you know, given the tragedies that are going on in Peru with the, you know, with the flooding and everything, it's, 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 it's such an emotional time for Peruvians. And, you know, playing Venezuela away, like, you know, we need this one. So I'm writing a piece for The Guardian coming out in two, in two days for that. Awesome. Looking forward to it and looking forward to Conmebol qualifiers in general, oh, yeah, which the are best. the best. Abs- so good. Absolutely. Uh, I can't, I'm so angry they scheduled Uruguay, Brazil and Argentina, Colombia, or Argentina, Chile for like basically the same time. I think I there's know, like a half hour it's difference. It's insane. I want to... <laughs> who doesn't want to watch both? I don't like, do any work that want- day, but I know. Okay, I just, like, it's crazy. <laughs> no, Commonwealth qualifying is great. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, thank you so much for coming in to talk. I had fun. Uh, this was great, Aaron. I hope I come back because I love this. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.